Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm just so grateful that you could be with me for this episode today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about narcissism, and I am joined by professor, therapist, and author Chuck DeGroat. Chuck is here to talk to us about narcissism and how we can understand it as a spectrum and the different ways that it can manifest. Additionally, Chuck is going to talk with us about spiritual abuse and how church systems can become narcissistic and be damaging to the congregants. Something exciting is in the works, and we are adding a new segment to the Christian Single Moms podcast in which we'd like to feature you. On our website, you can record a question that you'd like to have answered or share something that God has been teaching you in this season. Submissions can be anonymous and may be played right here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. For more details, check out the link down in the show notes. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present. And the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe, but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. I think this topic of narcissistic abuse is so important because narcissists abuse everyone. They are not just abusing the person that they might be in close relationship with. The deceit carries on through the entire community. And whether or not this is part of your story, it probably has affected someone that you know. And the more that we as a community are aware of these issues, the more that we can do to care for one another and to protect ourselves. Here's my conversation with Chuck DeGroat. Hey, Chuck, it's so good to have you with me. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Chuck, I am so very grateful that you could sit down today to have this conversation. Narcissism is something that many, many listeners have experienced, but being able to put words to that experience can be very difficult. And one of the things that's also so entangling about this is that it may have, a, may have been present in a variety of different relationships throughout our lives. So for some listeners, they perhaps had a narcissistic romantic partner, but for others, it could have been a parent. And yet for others, it could have been even a spiritual leader or some other type of influential person. So what I found very helpful in your work is this understanding of narcissism as a spectrum and how we Uh can start to really examine a person's behaviors and understand perhaps what is coming out towards us. So would you start us off by helping us to understand that spectrum? Yeah. Well, first of all, whenever we talk about narcissism, I imagine that there are some who are listening to this um, who, you know, they'll hear our our, uh, 50,000 foot conversation, but they are living in relationships that are really painful, right? So I just want to acknowledge that to the people who are listening who are, yeah, where this isn't theoretical at all. This is just Mm -hmm. sort of on the ground right now kind of reality. And I think the first question that you ask is actually really important because there there sometimes is this sense that, okay, so I, I see certain behaviors show up, but it doesn't seem... Like, you know, that book I read about narcissism, mm-hmm. or it doesn't sound as bad as my friend's experience of narcissism, right? And um, when I did some writing on this, I, I tried to be as clear as I could, but at the same time, I wanted to show the complexity of, of narcissism because it's not a one size fits all kind of 
phenomenon. Um, I think sometimes when we think of it, we think of the the kind of very grandiose, very controlling kind of person, right? But uh, it, uh, as I talk about in the book, it has many faces. It shows up in different behaviors, but it also exists on the spectrum that you speak of, where where uh, and there's some testing to get at this that I'll use uh, in various consultations, but but uh, where there is a movement from style to type to disorder, which means that certain people may manifest some characteristics that might seem kind of narcissistic. Yeah, he can be kind of um, domineering at times or aggressive or um, uh, likes attention, but that not might not raise to the level of, of narcissistic personality disorder, which really looks like when you go to kind of the far end of the spectrum, looks like a kind of a pervasive uh, form of, uh, of behavior. We call it characterological, which means it's kind of become part and parcel of their character. They are a domineering person. It's not not just that they occasionally lose their cool or they like to be on stage. It's they are literally addicted at some level. And so there's this this movement from maybe some characteristics or some behaviors that may look a little bit narcissistic. But for me, when I do the assessments, it's sort of like, okay, that's a yellow flag. And and let's find you a good therapist. Let's have you in a good community where you can get feedback to type where now you're manifesting it just a little bit more in ways that might be even more problematic to narcissistic personality disorder, which I often say, you often know it by the debris field around that mm -hmm. person, the debris mm -hmm. field of pain, of mistrust, of broken relationships, of, of abuse. I think this is so fascinating, really, because the first thing is that there's so many times, as you alluded to, women will share stories with one another. And then there's this question that comes out where it's like, well, that's not my experience. That's not what I saw. Yeah. And so then there's even yeah. maybe a discounting of your own experience because it doesn't look like somebody yes. else's. And so yes. to understand, though, it does look somewhat different from situation and person to person. Yeah. Um, but that also yeah. there is a scale. And I kind of think of this from a spiritual sense of a, a hardness of heart. Um, this is something that we write yeah. in the, that's in the devotional we just released called Safe Haven. And the book of Proverbs, okay. it describes the scale of foolishness and that, you know, it starts out yeah. with simple naivety. It starts out with, okay, you might be mm -hmm. suggestible, right? And then it can move yeah. into perhaps something that's a lot more problematic, some more pleasure-seeking type of behaviors, yeah. a lot more selfishness that's manifesting yeah. there, and then can move into wickedness as, as the book of Proverbs describes it, where this is a person who yeah. is, as you said, addicted to the point where it yeah. is really a callousing of the heart that we're witnessing. And I think we just have yeah. to understand though, that when we look at it from us being in the situation, sometimes it's so hard to really gain a grasp of what it is that we're looking at. What do you see yeah. in, in terms of that, like being in the situation and the ability to actually have a perspective on what's being seen. Yeah, I think I think that that's that's so tricky, right? Because you've obviously talked to so many women who've experienced this so have I and and they'll say, well, but my husband or my pastor or the leader in this context, my boss, isn't the kind of typical narcissist, you know? Mm -hmm. Um he's he's not too aggressive, he's not overly powerful. He, but he's he's always pulling on me, drawing on me for affirmation. There's there's a grandiose narcissist, by the way, and there's a more vulnerable um, kind of narcissist that I describe in the book that's more self pitying and uh, is always the victim in every mm -hmm. situation. No one ever does enough for me. No one ever pays enough. And and I think that and those are only a couple of the different faces. And I think that when you're in a situation like that, it can feel. Uh, kind of crazy making, you know, I, I, I think I'll have so many people reach out to me and say, I just feel like I'm, I'm going crazy because it feels like there's something really off here. But um, then my friends say, well, he, he's not narcissistic because he's not, you know, he's not the kind of the classic looking narcissist, um, but maybe he's just very lawyerly. And it feels like every conversation looks like you are having to make an argument and he's always going to win the case because he's more articulate. Um, or, or maybe he's just hyper-intellectual and everything looks like um, him kind of uh, talking in condescending ways. You know, mm -hmm. you just don't understand it the way I understand it. You'll never understand the way I understand it. You know, you just don't get it. Um, 
you know, and so there, there can be these different faces. And so my desire is to sit with people and hear their unique story. I don't want to kind of take some sort of prefabricated definition and say, well, it's got to be that. For, I want to say, tell me your experience. What have you felt? What does your gut tell you? Mm. Um, I think that when we're, in, when we're in situations where we feel seen, dignified, um, where someone else notices our glory, our goodness, then we're in the presence of a, of a good person. But but when we feel diminished, shamed, then we're in the, the presence of someone who might be um, wicked. Or as I often, I often use the word sinister but mm. as uh, in place of wicked, because I think there's a, uh, th- that to me, that rings in my ear of someone who is, is like the snake in the Garden of Eden, you know, slippery and, and yeah, mm-hmm. and sinister and constantly mm-hmm. making you second guess yourself, you yeah. know? I love that you use that word dignity, because I think that is one of the things that abuse in general, but certainly narcissistic abuse is really trying to rob you of is your separateness, your individuality, your just imbued worth as God has fingerprinted you with that God gives us our dignity in being image bearers. And that, yeah. that makes us all inherently worth respect and care. And yeah. that is one of the things I think, you know, as we just, as, as we learn more about these things is paying attention to what that feels like to have that taken away. And I think sometimes what happens yeah. is the, these things very slowly come to be, right? Especially if there's yeah. like a a love bombing type of experience that happens at the beginning that you don't even know what you're in then because mm-hmm. you've been so deceived. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes yeah. that gut feeling is like kind of turned off. And yeah, if you have experienced abuse in the long term in your life, you may not even really yeah. know what it is to be dignified. You may not yes. really have yes. this sense of I am being overrun by this other person that I'm being swallowed up by this other person. Yes. And as you said, though, I think this is where having great counsel and people around you, people who can reflect that love and care and dignity back to you, that it gives you some sense of being able to say, okay, what do I see though? What am I, what am I really observing? And, and it helps to clear some of that brain fog that really does surround this experience. Yeah. 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 And, and oftentimes in our Christian communities and churches, um, we'll, we'll hear things like not to trust our emotions or not to trust our gut, you know? And so, so I think I've heard from women who said, I was in that church or I was in that marriage for a decade, for two decades. But, but I thought that what I was feeling didn't matter because I, I couldn't trust those kinds of things. Like those are inherently bad or evil mm-hmm. or when, when, you know, for a long, long time, they had the sense that this isn't right. I do feel diminished. Um, in his presence, I do feel uh, perpetually shamed. Our our kids are not treated with respect and dignity, uh, and, and so oftentimes, when in my work as a therapist, in particular, when when a woman um, for the first time says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," that's what I felt for such a long time. That place of that sense of validation, that sense of "Oh, you mean that's real." That can be a very, very emotional experience, mm-hmm. a very overwhelming mm-hmm. experience. Like, yes, this has been, this has been happening. It's true. Yeah. You know what I think is entangling about that too, as you mentioned in Christian culture, this teaching more or less of discarding your emotions and God gave us yeah. those emotions for us to receive input yeah. from the outside world and yeah. to analyze it and to say, yeah. Oh, am I in danger or is this good? Yeah. And, and, and those types of things and actually to bring them to him as a connection point to say, okay, Lord, I'm feeling mm-hmm. this. And either we, if it's a good mm-hmm. thing, we can have gratitude. If it's a frustrating thing, we can lament, you know, and, and these types yeah. of things, it, it really builds an intimacy with the Lord and such a danger yeah. then is cutting that off to the point where we then may yeah. believe that the Lord is actually pleased in our suffering, that he yeah. is honored yeah. by us, yes. just yes. sucking it up. And yes. that ends up perpetuating these things 
when scripture is extremely clear that if there is a person who's causing divisiveness, a person who is exploiting other people is a wolf in sheep's clothing that we're actually Mm -hmm. supposed to put some distance there and step away from a person who is bent on destroying us. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Chuck, you mentioned a little bit about those faces of narcissism though. And I'd like for you to just give us a little more color around that, because I think for certain listeners, as you said, they've heard some of these terms thrown around. You use the terms grandiose and vulnerable narcissist. Others may have heard similar things as covert overt, but I think this thought of the the different patterns that this takes can Mm -hmm. shed even more light on these different manifestations. Yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit of a backstory. Um, Back in maybe the late 1990s, early 2000s, when I was pastoring, um, a number of women were coming to me. In some cases, uh, they were wives of like leaders in the church, elders in the church, right, who were describing to me what they were experiencing. That that was a, I I remember back then feeling just palpably anxious about what am I going to do about this? I'm in my late 20s at the time, in the late 90s. but their stories, there were themes that were emerging in their stories and how their husbands were showing up so, so well and so nicely at church on Sunday, but behind the scenes, there was a kind of Jekyll and Hyde phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And one of my uh, early clients, and this had to have been in the early 2000s, I want to say, gave, gave me a book by Lundy Bancroft called Why Does He Do That? Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen that book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, that's been incredible, an incredible resource to women who been in uh, relationships of pain and abuse. And uh, there's so many good resources there. Well, I use that. I do use that. I have used it for a number of years, but um, I found that the Enneagram, some people may be familiar with that language. Um, It's been around for quite a while. And I found that the the nine faces of the Enneagram actually painted pictures of, of the kinds of um, narcissist I saw showing up in my practice. So I decided to sort of reframe um, uh, the narcissism through nine faces, mm-hmm. right? And so, and some of them look really nice. I mean, the, the face of the, you know, the Enneagram two is classically called the helper, but it's someone who gives to get at some mm-hmm. level and who has a sort of a deep insatiable need that, um, uh, he will he will try to to meet that need, draw that need, pull for that need, um, coerce for that need, manipulate to get that need met by someone else. Um, and so I walk through the different faces of narcissism through the lens of of the enneagram. Uh, some that look a little bit more helpful, some that look a little bit more achieving and on stage. You know, maybe a little bit more of the classic narcissist, mm-hmm. the the visionary uh, enneagram seven, who's sort of out in front of you, and you're never you're never smart enough, and you're never able enough, and uh, capable enough of keeping up with with him. And uh, the kind of prototypically dominant and bullying enneagram eight, or the very passive aggressive. Enneagram nine, the lawyerly Enneagram one. I'm, I'm just sort of, I, I haven't hit on all of them, obviously, right? Yeah. But, and I find that for my clients and for so many who've been exposed to some of this work, it's like, oh, I just didn't know that narcissism could come in that unique package, you know? Mm-hmm. And now, now I see that um, what I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt because everyone in church loved him and he was so nice and he serves in all these ministries. Yeah. And yet at home, it's so, uh, it's so dark and it's so painful. Yeah. And I, I appreciate though, that you sort of like gave a little softball entry as far as the Enneagram is concerned there. <laughs> me per- And you don't know this stepping into this conversation. Me personally, I've shared a little bit on the podcast before about how I found the Enneagram to actually be very hurtful. And yeah. it's something Can that you say more about that. I will. Yes. Um, yeah. basically, and actually I thought it was funny. You brought up the Enneagram too, <laughs> because yeah. if you typed me, that would be where I would fall. Um, and what in my experience had happened, I really found in, in some level at the beginning that I found some things that were very, um, interesting. I started to identify some patterns and, and yes, there was some give to get that was in there, but I found the underlying philosophy was not 
really right on. And I think because again, this mm. is not a biblical, spiritual, scriptural type of a, a wisdom, yeah. we can only yeah. go so far with it. So where yeah. I found there's some great help in identifying patterns, which I think is what psychology yes. is fantastic for is looking yes. at patterns. Yes. I don't yeah. know that it is always very beneficial. Well, I don't know. I do know that it's yeah. not always beneficial in trying to explain why those are there. Um, because yeah. the explanations in the things that I had only ever in, you know, ingested, yeah. basically we're saying that these patterns are born from your trauma. And one yeah. of the things that the Lord helped me to work through as I was really just like, oh my gosh, am I manipulative? And so then I would stop giving though altogether. It was like, well, if I'm manipulative, mm. I don't want people to think that's so why I need to shut this down. And I was like, Ugh there's something wrong about this though. And then yeah. just in studying spiritual gifts though, and yeah. reading through Romans and the various other places in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts, I recognized yeah. that, oh no, 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 no. This beautiful gift you have is a gift yes. actually. And, yeah. and yes, it yeah. can be distorted and twisted yeah. sideways, just like anything. And what yeah. you're saying, you know, it could actually be used yeah. for evil. That's so yeah, true, yeah. right? When we yeah. take it into yeah. our human ability, but when yeah. we keep it in the yeah. Lord's hands and offer it to him, yeah. that he teaches us yeah. how to allow that to be a way that the spirit flows through us. And so that's just something I found very wanting in all kinds of that's Enneagram good. literature. Yeah. But so yeah. I've, I've emphasized more of understanding personality in the way of spiritual gifting rather yeah. than um, patterns of behavior. But all that being yeah. said, all that being said, the thing that I found very powerful about the way that you describe this, though, is the fact that yeah. there are patterns, right? And this is a way that we can look at how some of these patterns are played out. And as I was reading the way that you describe these nine faces, yeah. I started thinking about the narcissists that I have known of or that women have told me about. Mm -hmm. And I started being able to see, oh, that was how this one behaved, or that was how this person's husband behaved and those sorts of things. Yeah. So all these question marks that, that were still swirling yeah. around what really is this thing that we're seeing? It really did help to encapsulate just yeah. the different ways that that can show up. Yeah. That's so helpful to hear. And, and you put words to uh, my, the other the flip side of me, the skeptical me when it comes to the Enneagram, who is so reluctant to teach it nowadays, even to some of my <laughs> students who use it in ways that are, um, that are not very helpful. Right. And mm. so you know, I, in the end, my hope would be that um, there might just be a word or a phrase. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, no, no one needs to uh, uh, buy into any anything related to the Enneagram to, yeah. to kind of say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see him showing up in that yes. way or, you know, my boss. So that's a really helpful word. I'm really yeah. grateful you said that. No, I appreciate yeah. that you asked, but 100%, just for anybody who's listening, who's sort of like maybe, you know, one side or the other when it comes to this thing, yeah. the, the takeaway was though, being able to see these nine faces, it was just basically nine patterns in ways yeah, that patterns. I could start to yeah. see like, oh yes, like yeah. I have seen these different nine yeah. patterns in different people yeah. makes complete sense. Yeah. And I think that that's important yeah. though, as we said before at the outset, that a lot of women might feel like, well, maybe, maybe he's not a narcissist or maybe I'm the narcissist or, you know, these kinds of things, because yeah. we don't understand the spectrum or we don't understand the manifestations yeah. and those kinds of things. So yeah. I think it's, it's, it was very helpful for me. Um, yeah. Chuck, I want to ask you more about spiritual abuse and organizational narcissism. And this is something that yeah. you touch on as well. And as I had mentioned to you at the beginning, that Many listeners have a spiritual abuse experience too. And being able to make sense of that is even more difficult because now we yes. are tangling up the things that really are at the core of understanding who we are, who God is, our identity, who we are in him. So could yeah. you give us some understanding of the narcissistic system that could actually be some of these church organizations? Yeah. So th there's a, there's a really painful passage in scripture and uh, Ezekiel chapter 34, where it talks about the, the pastors, the shepherds who are supposed to tend to the flock, harming the flock, right? And I think those, those who were empowered abuse, empowered to tend to, to care for the flock, um, actually harm, even destroy the flock. And I think that whenever, whenever you talk about spiritual abuse, you're talking about a misuse of power, um, and, and what's really interesting is power. People are empowered throughout scripture, right? Um, and, and obviously God is omnipotent, the all powerful one. And yet, um, 
Well, Paul says, Jesus, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became nothing, became a servant, right? And Mm -hmm. so, but those who are in power, well, they don't see that power as a means of of, uh, caring, tending to serving. It's uh, it's for the sake of exploitation, Mm -hmm. control. And, and that's what spiritual abuse is about. And what's so, and I'm sure you have seen this in spades, like what's so tough about this, right, is that um, people come to me and say, but it's my pastor, um, or I've been going to that church for so long, or it's my Christian husband who was raised in the faith and and we've been married for 20 years and, it, and, and, and you know, he read scripture to our kids. It, there can't be, this can't be mm-hmm. bad or wrong or something like that. Know that spiritual abuse talks about a kind of power control manipulation um, that comes in in a kind of Christian clothing, right? And that's what makes it so so profoundly harmful. Mm-hmm. Does that resonate with your own experience of, oh, yeah. of spiritual abuse in the church? Yeah, yeah, and that was another thing. So you do talk about basically, as you again with the grandiose and vulnerable narcissist that you you basically yeah. are, could be dealing with a church environment that is one of either one of those. And I've actually yeah. been a part of both. And at the time, again, there's so many of these things that seem like, well, this is what God wants. Like this Mm -hmm. is, and, and, and scripture can be contorted. And that's so much of what is involved with spiritual abuse is taking scripture and then twisting it to fit your own narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, and if I really think about some of the struggle over the entirety of my life, it was growing up in a system that did not teach scripture correctly. So then I did not understand God correctly, which means then I did not understand myself correctly. And for many, many, many years, didn't even understand grace. Oh my goodness. If I think about that, I was like 29 years old before I ever read a book that described grace. And I was like, this is God. Are you sure? (laughs) You know? And um, again, though, understanding there that there are other experiences gives us a a window into the truth that really is what we we should be grabbing onto. And Mm -hmm. I think part of what happens with spiritual abuse, especially if you grow up in it is you don't know what you don't know. And then you're so afraid. And I've seen this with many women, so afraid to walk away from uh, either a a congregation or a tradition that you've grown up in because you have been convinced maybe at some level that your salvation is tied to perhaps belonging to a particular group or maintaining particular practices and those types of things. And it is such a barrier to receiving grace and knowing God for who he is. And then everything, I mean, just how you know yourself, all your relationships, everything is just learned from there. Yeah. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. You, you, uh, uh, I should be interviewing you because yeah, you you're, are. <laughs> you're so, I mean, you're, you're so articulate and you oh, know this, thanks, you know Jeff. this so well. Um, you know this so well. Um, God's done a work. No, you know, I'll say this. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And, and I was thinking, you know, last yesterday, I'm, I'm kind of upstairs. I teach, uh, I was a pastor for a while. I teach in a seminary now and I'm a therapist. And, and I wandered downstairs and there were a few of my colleagues um, sitting around a table eating lunch and they were talking about, a, I won't name it, but it's a popular podcast about a particularly big church where there were some problems and a very narcissistic pastor. And, I think and I've they, listened they to that said, said podcast. I, <laughs> yeah. And they, they, were, they said, why do people stay, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and what's really interesting is that there is a kind of reciprocal relationship. And by the way, this doesn't, the reciprocal relationship doesn't mean that victim or the survivor is is somehow responsible or equally responsible right mm-hmm. it, it does say that there's a kind of security a sense of belonging mm-hmm. this is my tribe 
Uh, these are my people. I go here because I'm I'm welcomed. I'm accepted. And and it is sort of like that, you know, sort of old image of the frog in the slowly mm-hmm. boiling kettle, you know. And and at some point, it's like I'm I'm bo- I'm burning up here. Mm-hmm. This isn't good. And yet, all my people are here, and, and they seem to like him. And and so that's where I find so many so many people who feel utterly alone. Their experiences are I, I'm alienated now, uh, mm-hmm. ostracized from a community. Um, uh, people don't talk to me anymore. They don't look look at me anymore. Um, they point the finger at me. I'm the one who's wrong. I'm uh, disrupting the peace and the purity of the church. I am going after one of God's ordained minister. I'm, and so it can be an incredibly mm-hmm. alienating experience. And then for moms, single moms, I, I'm thinking of, of someone in particular right now who is very dear to me, who uh, in a very small town um, now has the scarlet letter mm-hmm. um, because her husband is um, bright and a professional, well educated, and has a kind of thriving practice. And um, and they're like, well, how could she have left him? Mm-hmm. Um, she must be crazy. The narratives about her, she's crazy. She's, yeah. you know, um, she it was never enough for her. Uh, she couldn't appreciate what she had, and and yet I know what happened behind the scenes, yeah. and I I think how awful that she's now the one in exile uh, and 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 he's the one who's defended. And so it's a terribly alienating experience, isn't it? You just described the experience of many listeners, especially when yeah. it comes to going before a pastor. And when you have been abused, you're very emotional often. And yeah, yeah. they will use just about anything they can, the narcissist, to make you yeah. look very unhinged and very unreliable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they do yeah. a lot to manage their own reputation. And this is the thing, Chuck, mm-hmm. it makes me so, I'm going to say righteously angry, so passionately angry, yeah. is that yeah. Paul explicitly warned us of this in mm-hmm. Titus and in. In Timothy, he is writing to these men who are going to take up the mantle after Paul is gone. And he was so adamant, especially in 2 Timothy 3, he's so clear about this is what an abuser looks like. You're going to see people who are lovers of self. They're going to do this. They're going to be abusive. They're going to be divisive. They're going to be all these things. He even says they're going to look like they have the form of godliness. They're going to look godly, but they're going to deny its power. They're not going to walk in the righteousness. They're not going to walk in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, stay away from people like that. Yeah. And and to Titus, he says that these people you're going to see, they're warped. They're self-condemned. They're rejected as far as the faith's concerned. So Paul was so so black and white about watch out for this in your churches. And if you see it, yeah. get away from it. And yet that is one of the things I'm, and this is why it makes me so sad. It destroys not just the families and it destroys the women and the children who are taught up or caught yeah. up in this thing. And yes, we're talking about women and children. There are men who are abused by narcissistic women too. We're like, yeah. yes, but yes. We, we always yeah. focus on the single mom side because that's what the podcast is about. But yeah. that being said- And the numbers bear out in a way yes. that much a much yes. larger significant yes. uh, and, and significant group of men are yes. responsible for this, right? right. So yeah. Right. Yeah. But when, and you mentioned this, the narcissist views all of their relationships as something to exploit. They They view everything yeah. as a way to get- what they feel entitled to, their admiration, mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. sense of uh, superiority through control yeah. and domination and these types of things. Yeah. So it's not yeah. just then the partner and the children who are being abused. Everybody yeah. in the church context is being abused because yeah. I am managing right. the story. I'm managing the pieces. Yeah. I'm managing your perception of reality, which yeah. to answer the question, if I can, <laughs> sorry, I just feel like I'm yeah. on the soapbox today, but to answer hey, the question, as far the as <laughs> <laughs> the question, as far as like why people don't stay, they don't know what they're in because the, the perception of reality has been so distorted. You know, yeah. when you look at what the serpent did to Eve back in the garden, he gaslit her. Yeah. He tells yeah. her, well, are you sure? And that's basically yeah. what goes that's on it. in this whole entire yeah. experience. Yeah. Right. So But we have to understand, though, that our systems in churches can sometimes be set up that if there's this dysfunction within the leadership, 
mm-hmm. within the, the senior leadership, within just the various members of the congregation, it's a place where this stuff can fester and actually yeah. have it look like, and you talk about this, it can yeah. look like, but we're on a mission for God. You know, yeah. we, we have been given this thing and we've got to yeah. steward it. Or yeah. on the flip side, you also mentioned that it can look like perhaps um, we know how much we need God. We're so sinful. We're so terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you speak to though, like that imbalance and yeah. why that is such a place where we can get stuck? Yeah. Uh, the, the imbalance between those two different kinds of, of narcissism, those two different kinds of pastors or churches or yeah. Well, yeah, because and, and both of those where... on the outset can seem really like very spiritual, right? <laughs> really spiritual. Yeah. And, and okay. And first of all, I'm so glad that you're talking and teaching and all, you know, um, I, I always, I always tell people, um, when I come on podcasts, they put, they put me up like an, I'm an expert, right? Mm. Um, I wrote a little <laughs> book about it. Um, I think the people who've experienced this are mm. the real experts. <laughs> they know it from the inside out. And so I just put a few words around some things that I've experienced that others have experienced. And, and I think what you're naming, and you know, you actually, you actually invited me to say something about it earlier and I didn't, but this can, uh, this isn't just about pastors or single people, like individuals, I should say, Mm. but it's about organizations, you know, and a whole organization like systemically can sort of take on, um, the kind of, um, invisible kind of persona of the narcissist. And so, you know, in some smaller churches, you'll see this more kind of covert narcissism or vulnerable narcissism and that those are more, those words are often interchangeable in the literature in, in what you described as, well, we don't have very many people, but we are the faithful flock. You know, we are the ones that, um, that are following Jesus. We're not like those other churches. We're not like those mega and then you have the large churches that are tend to be more grandiose that are like, we're not like those other churches. You see how God has blessed us. Look at the fruit of our ministries. We're, you've got missionaries in every continent and, you know, we're blessing people. And, and so there's always this sense that um, God has somehow anointed him or God has somehow anointed us. I tell the story in there of a, a friend of mine who took over a Christian organization and and, you know, within weeks, he was like, this is, this is supposed to be a discipleship organization. And all I hear is, you know, we, we, we have the premium discipleship products and books and resources mm-hmm. and model and, and, oh, that organization over there, they just, they don't get it. And they don't get it. And, 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 mm-hmm. and they use the language of kingdom and they use the language of following Jesus and discipleship. But he, but he said, he, he was really frightened when he called me. He said, you know, literally everywhere I go, everywhere I look, there's this sense of um, it's all about us. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know if people are watching this, but your face just kind of, you know, your face was perfect. It was like, <laughs> oh, that's gross. You know? It is gross. That's how, <laughs> and that's how we feel when we come across these things. Like, this is just not the way it's supposed to be. Yes. Yes. It's so yeah. corrupt, you know, and I, so I think. Corrupt. That's the thing. I mean, the corruption is just, I don't even have words for it because we're, we're dealing with people's spirituality and their salvation and their eternity. Like we're, we're dealing in people's, like the things that are just so central to this experience in this life. And then how that translates to the life after. And as we mess with that and, and, and just, it destroys people's sense of, who God is, who we are, and who other people are, mm-hmm. and how that's all yeah. supposed to be intersected. And as you said yeah. so well, it creates such an alienation. It creates such a loneliness. Yeah. And I think, yeah. though, one of the ways that that comes out is just this pervasive distrust. And when you've been hurt in a church context like this, then it's very, very understandable that someone would say, well, if that's what church is, and if that's what God is and all of this, and I don't want yep. anything to do with it. Right. And yep, especially right. if that's like your one experience, if you've only experienced yeah. that, then how are you to know that there's something else? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's the part that's devastating. Right. That, uh, that, uh, you, you see people turning away from church, turning away from, um, relationship with Jesus, you know, that, that this particular instance of, of abuse that they've experienced, it, it is the kind of overarching word about 
about Christians, about the church. And, and that makes me really sad because mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, s- people will often say, do you have good stories to tell? And I'm like, I have so many good stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, my own pastors are phenomenal. Um, and, 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 and so, and, and if you look at the history of the church, there are so many good stories to tell, but we have historically, we Christians have historically um, formed alliances with power in ways that have been profoundly hurtful um, in, in, uh, in overarching ways, systemic ways, very personal kinds of ways. And there is a kind of reckoning within the church right now that, that I, I think it's important to name. And this seems to happen every several hundred years. Uh, there was a reformation probably 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. There seems to be these moments where, you know, people like you, serve as prophets, you know, that you put words to things that people are experiencing, you're naming realities, and you're calling us back to faithfulness, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what the prophets did. I've got to say some really hard things, name Mm -hmm. some really hard realities, name evil, call it, call it what it is, and call people back to faithfulness. So I'm grateful for what you do in this podcast. (laughs) And I'm sure for for single moms, it's got to be like, ah, this is a lifeline. We're trying. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, right, right, <laughs> you right. You know, and I think you mentioned though something, and I think this is what's really important though, as we go through our own spiritual journey though, is this is a deeply personal thing. So though we have this church body and these people that we're in community with, that we're, we're growing in faith with, we still have an individual walk with the Lord. And the reason mm-hmm. that I know the things that I know is from spending time in the Bible to the point where I can discern Hmm. What I'm seeing in this church is not, does not align with scripture. And we have the ability through the illumination of the Holy spirit to be awakened to these discrepancies in these organizations that are not, that are, that are just propping themselves up as churches, but truly are not that we have the ability to be empowered in a situation yeah. where someone is trying to distort reality, trying yeah. to distort scripture and those kinds of things. Yeah. You can read this for yourself. You yeah. can know, and you can be awake to what's going on around you. But yeah. I, you alluded to something and I, and I want to ask you more about this, you know, as far as a reckoning and being voices of truth and calling people to be awake and aware, this is something that is certainly central to this conversation about abuse, but it's also just central, I think, to the single parent experience where churches do Mm. not seem to by and large be places where single parents feel like they belong very often. You know, there's so much um, stigma and uh, misunderstanding about what it is to be a single parent, what God thinks about divorce, like all of these things that really surround this experience. And I, I have found though, that we do have the ability though, to have some influence and some power to, mm. to start the conversation at least, or to yeah, move into places yeah. that are sensitive to that. Yeah, Where do yeah. you see that victims and survivors and people who are in these, um, have gone through these experiences can pour back into churches and create more awareness? Yeah. Well, first of all, that, um, the experience of, of being single or a single mom in, in a church is, is just such an important conversation in and of itself, right? I mean, I do think that there has been this kind of idolization of the family, mm-hmm. um, this focus on the family, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? That I, I don't know about you, but when I read scripture from Genesis to Revelation, um, the stories aren't very pretty and, mm-hmm. and there are <laughs> families that are broken and there yeah. are women are single and barren. And like, I mean, the stories that you see are stories that um, don't look like your typical suburban church of, you know, two parents and 2.3 kids and everyone's smiling and happy. So there's, there's something off there. And I really, I, I was very grateful to have served in uh, San Francisco, California, which is uh, uh, one of the most secular cities, but uh, at the top of the most single cities in mm-hmm. uh, the United States too. So among singles where it was normative to be single mm-hmm. um, or to be a single parent. Um, and what my experience was, um, uh, it feels so good to walk into a place and not look around and feel like I'm um, the outlier, you know, that I belong. Um, um, now um, in terms of, in terms of like what, victims and survivors can give back to the church. I mean, I think first of all, uh, at least in my work, 
they need to go on their own healing journey, right? And and sometimes it just means taking your story really seriously and maybe stepping away. Sometimes you have to step away from the church, set boundaries, um, step away from your community group, um, people who don't treat you with dignity or shame you for, or why are you going through a divorce? And don't you know God can, okay, I, I may need to step back and I may need to find some community with folks who um, understand what I'm going through. And that might be hard and that might be lonely for a while, but I have seen more courage. And the reason I'm smiling is like I, the women that I've worked with, more courage in women who are single, who decide not because they're coerced or not because they feel like they have to, but after a long journey through the dark night of the soul, through doing all the hard inner work of, no, I'm, I'm moving back toward a place that, a pain, a place where I have felt like I'm um, an outlier. Um, because I, they need to hear from me. Um, and maybe that's part of the, the role of this podcast and your mm-hmm. vocation. Like they, people need to hear our voices. People mm-hmm. need to know that I exist. People don't need to know what it's like day in, day out, raising, um, three kids and, um, but also having changed the locks on the door. And waiting for that, you know, that phone call from dad that he gets to have like once a week, but being scared to death of what he's going to say to them this week and and having, having to constantly juggle my kids wanting to see their dad, but knowing that they'll be gaslit by him and it'll come back around on me or whatever it is. And so the courageous women who um, are working through that actively, you know, and, and are, are able to sort of say, and, um, and I want to be light. I want to be salt and light. I, I, I need to sort of live into this space of courage so that you know that my story is, is, a, is a story that I, I exist in the church. I matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to hear from me, right? So yeah. incredibly courageous. Yeah. I love the way you pulled all that together as far as somewhat of a, a timeline of healing, I think, because you're so right. Yeah. There are spaces where you might be engaged in that become unsafe, that if you're not able to have, if you don't have people around you who can hold your experience, though, it may be messy, though, it may be, even they might question, you know, that kind of thing. But if if they can't really be there for you and support you, it doesn't mean in my experience to completely shut it all down in the sense that it's all gone. But for me, one of the most helpful things was having a mentor, for example. So this mentor was somebody I met with regularly and we still were, you know, um, diving into the, the, just the spiritual journey together. But that was the place I got the most fed compared to like, for example, like let's say every Sunday church attendance, you know? And so when you're able to establish safety in some way, and that I think which is what you were alluding to, when you have that safety, then you start to have the ability to practice using your voice in a really small, safe setting with safe people. And what we know about trauma is trauma is so much about powerlessness, right? And sometimes physically losing your voice, like physically not having the words, right? To the point though, that we can gain some healing and some strength in these smaller settings that we can go back, as you said, as prophets, you know, and and start to advocate. Mm -hmm. And the advocacy is beautiful because you'll get a lot of pushback from people who don't understand, but the ones (laughs) who do understand, they're going to be like, oh, you've got a torch, like, tell me more, (laughs) right? Like, I I feel like I need that light, you know, they're they're in the, the frozen you know, tundra of their spiritual life, but you're carrying the the equipment for a campfire, you know? And so they're like, yes. warm me up, you know, I want to get closer to you. And yeah. so, but it does take that time to pull back. It does take that time yeah. to allow God to nurture you, to show you yeah. who he is, who you are yeah. before yeah. really engaging in this whole thing. But I do think yeah. that once we experience that, that passion is going to overtake you, right? So as we've seen in this conversation, it just starts to pour out like a firehouse, you know, and that there, but these stories do matter and that we can have so much influence in stepping back into some of those settings and not certainly ones that are toxic, but into some settings where you may be able to start shining light. Um, And I think that's how God brings you know, the yeah. purpose out of all the painful things that we've gone through. Yeah. yeah. Uh, beautifully said. Uh, I, I hope you get to preach regularly. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, Chuck, I have just had so much fun in this conversation with you, but even, even fun, but around some difficult things, you know, we've wrestled with some things, but I think that's what, what brings the hope though, is knowing we can wrestle these things out that we can share. This Mm -hmm. is what, you know, this is what I know. And that through it all, you know, God just reveals more of himself and his heart in these instances. As I wrap up every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, I, as I thought about that, what felt really um, important was you're not alone. Like you're seen, um, you're seen you're in, in your loneliness, whatever your lived experience of being a single mom is of, of waking up in the morning and not having a partner by your side, you know, to help make the sandwiches for school or to get the kids ready. You're, you're seen, you're known, you're loved, you're pursued by an incredibly compassionate God who, um, longs to love you. And, um, that's just what came to mind. You're loved, you're seen, you're known. Mm. That's all. Such a good reminder. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah. Would you tell listeners about your resources and how they can follow you? Yeah. Um, well, so online I'm at chuckdegroat.net and, um, I just launched a new website. I, I was one of these people who like started a website in the early 2000s with WordPress and it was kind of like a blog. And I thought, well, that hasn't been updated in 20 years. So, um, I just, I just got a new website going and there, some of the books I'm, I've written are on there. Some that might be relevant are like when narcissism comes to church and toughest people to love, but also wholeheartedness, which is a vision of, of flourishing and wholeness mm-hmm. and, and a life undivided. But I also have, if, if there are people listening who want to know more about the behind the scenes work that I do as a therapist with um, people who are on the narcissistic spectrum, they want some more teaching. I've got a, a video series where I do some teaching, about three hours of teaching that goes beyond the book to say, so how do I go about thinking about this? Because I was, when I first got into counseling, I mean, I was shaking, I'm literally shaking in the counseling room when I was working with narcissistic men mm. and in a, situations of abuse, just feeling like, what in the world do I do to help? And um, so that gives a little bit more of the a behind the scenes picture of, of how I think about that kind of work. And the whole unit on spiritual abuse in that. And so, yeah, just trying to put out resources that are helpful, encouraging, and um, ultimately, though, not cynical, you know, mm-hmm. that don't give up on the, the goodness um, of, of God, the goodness of the church, the goodness of people, the goodness of, of what you're doing. Um, you know, y- y- your voice, by the way, I experience is so life-giving, not mm-hmm. sarcastic, not cynical, but so full of hope. Um, and I don't know your story, but I mean, I, I imagine that you've had to find your way to hope mm-hmm. through a, a wilderness path. So, yeah. so thank you. Thank yeah. you, Chuck. And I will put yeah. links in the show notes so that listeners can find your resources, but just thank yeah, you thank so, you. so much. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Grateful for it. If you found this conversation helpful, I've got a couple of others I can suggest for you. Check out episode 74, Don't Tolerate Toxicity, When and How to Walk Away from Emotionally Draining People with Gary Thomas. Also, check out episode 69, How to Stop Being Manipulated and Help Your Kids Avoid It Too, with Tim Sanford. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also, at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.